0: Hello my fellow Believers and welcome in to episode number 22 of Combat Bets with Jason Barron on the Believe Network and in this episode we're going to recap some UFC fights, some great boxing matches so sit back and get ready for a great episode with a lot of content. I really hope you all enjoy it And I hope everyone had a wonderful and safe Thanksgiving. I know there was a lot of travel going on during this time, flying back and forth. So really hoping we can contain this virus as it continues to surge. Remember, continue to social distance and wear your mask. And we'll get through this together as it looks like a promising vaccine is right around the corner. Now getting back to the fights, I'd like to start with recapping a fight that happened on November 14th from the MGM Grand Conference Center in Paradise, Nevada between the great Terrence Crawford and Kelbrook. Brook. Terrence Crawford may just be the best boxer in the sport. In my opinion, he is the best boxer in the sport. He combines timing with power, with accuracy and speed, That is just a devastating combination that most opponents just cannot withstand. We saw this once again against Kell Brook. He pretty much ended the fight with one punch. It was a counter right hook right as Brook was coming in. Brook obviously did not see the punch coming because it had an absolutely devastating effect on him. And the first three rounds of the fight... Crawford just likes to feel out his opponent, get his timing down, and that's exactly what he did against Brooke. Brooke was having some success in the first three rounds, landing some jabs, but nothing really of any consequence. And then when the fourth round came around, you just could see Crawford getting more comfortable in there and really finding his timing. And when he landed that beautiful kind of a jab, kind of a hook with his right hand, uh, that overcame Kell Brook and made him fall back into the ropes. You just sensed that you were witnessing something special, something once in a generation. And every time Crawford fights, it feels like we're witnessing greatness because that's exactly what he is. He's at the pinnacle of the sport. And what he needs now is those big fights to really cement his legacy. And he wants either Manny Pacquiao or er- Errol Spence Jr. next. We'll see if Terence Crawford gets his wish and gets those fights. Those would be some huge pay-per-view fights, some big money fights for Crawford. So we'll see what happens in his future. But getting back to his fight against Kel Brook. Now, uh, previous to the fight, Kel Brook was saying, you know, the punches and the damage he took against Gennady Golovkin and Errol Spence Jr., had no effect on him and he was going to come in fresh and ready to go at 147 pounds. However, that really didn't end up happening. And what Crawford does, as most great fighters do, is he makes his opponents look ordinary. And that's exactly what he did against Kell Brook, getting him out of there in the fourth round. After he landed that beautiful counter right hook, he was able to quickly finish the fight with some more Accurately placed punches and the referee had no choice but to call off the bout. An absolutely astounding performance by Terrence Crawford. And another thing that makes Terrence Crawford so hard to game plan against and prepare for is that he can switch stances at the drop of a hat. He can go from orthodox to southpaw depending on how the fight's going and that's what you saw a little bit against Cal Brook in his other fight, is that he can adjust as the fight goes along. He's not just a devastating puncher with great timing and accuracy, he's also a thinking man's boxer, thinking about the fight and what he can do to put himself in the best position to win. Now, a word from our sponsors, betonline.ag. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. And for this weekend, I'm thinking of taking Errol Spence Jr. by decision over Danny Garcia. And I also like Jack Hermanson to get the win against Marvin Vittori. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, getting back to that Terrence Crawford performance, the fight that everyone wants to see and hopefully can get made is Errol Spence Jr. against Terrence Crawford. Now, of course, first, Errol Spence Jr. has to get past Danny Garcia this weekend. I'll be previewing that fight a little bit later in the show. But for Terrence Crawford, he's a great boxer, but why people still doubt him is because he hasn't had that signature win against that big, high-level opponent... While he was the undisputed champ at 140 pounds before moving up to welterweight at 147 pounds, he still isn't considered, you know, better than Canelo Alvarez, for example, because Canelo has beaten Gennady Golovkin, Sergei Kovalev. Now he'll be fighting Callum Smith, a fight that I'm really excited for, and I'm really happy that Canelo will be fighting before uh, the end of the year of 2020. And if Terrence Crawford can't get in the ring against a Manny Pacquiao or an Errol Spence Jr., then maybe he thinks about going down to 140 pounds and fighting the winner of Jose Ramirez and Josh Taylor. I think that would be another big fight. So Top Rank has a lot of options with Terrence Crawford. I just hope they really help out his career and get him those big fights that he really needs to establish himself as truly the best pound-for-pound boxer in the sport, which I currently believe he is. Now, getting back to that fight card, and in the co-main event, we had Andrew Maloney, the twin brother of Jason Maloney, who we previously saw get knocked out by the monster in Iowa anyway, but Andrew Maloney had a rematch against Joshua Franco and ended up in a no-contest stopped after the third round because Joshua Franco's I believe his left eye had closed completely and he could no longer see out of it. It was ruled that it was caused by some repeated headbutts by Andrew Maloney and ruled a no contest. So hopefully they get in the ring and fight for a third time because even though this was ruled a no contest I thought thought Andrew Maloney was really boxing a very smart fight throwing a lot of jabs, and uh, really keeping Joshua Franco on the outside and winning the fight. Unfortunately, his eyes swell shut, and it wasn't clear if it was caused by punches or by the headbutt, and they did repeated replays, took a really long time, kind of took the air out of the building, and then they ruled it a no contest. So we'll see what happens if they fight a third time, but this was definitely a much better showing by Andrew Maloney, He made the necessary adjustments against a bigger fighter in Joshua Franco, not fighting as much on the inside as he did in their first fight, which was a unanimous decision win for Joshua Franco in their second fight. He was really using his jab to keep Franco on the outside and following it up with some nice combination punching. Franco, on the other hand, could not really get anything going, and this was looking like Andrew Maloney's night But unfortunately, as I said, it was ruled a no contest. So we'll see if they can fight for a third time. Now, getting back to another fight that happened on November 7th from Hollywood, Florida on DAZN. In the title fight for Haney's WBC lightweight title, we had Devin Haney taking on Eurokus Gamboa. Haney ended up winning this fight by unanimous decision. I thought he won all 12 rounds. Really a dominant performance by Devin Haney, but I think a lot of uh, fans of the sport really wanted to see Haney get that signature knockout win to prove that he is indeed ready for the best 135-pounders in the sport, a Gervonta Davis, maybe a Teofimo Lopez right now. I don't think Devin Haney at his young age is quite ready for those great fighters in that division. I'd like to see him go up against Ryan Garcia, We'll see how Ryan Garcia does against Luke Campbell. But um, that's the fight I want to see. And then I want to see Tiafima Lopez taking on Javante Davis. And as I said earlier, Devin Haney taking on Ryan Garcia. Those are two big fights in the 135-pound division. Maybe you have the winner of those two fights go up against each other in their next fight. We'll see what happens there. But a lot of fun fights to make in that division. And let's just uh, look at the punch stats here for this fight. Haney, he landed 133 out of 401 total punches for a 33% connect rate. Gamboa only landed 84 out of 472 for an 18% connect rate. So Haney only got 84 punches landed on him in a 12-round fight. That's really great defense. However, he could never quite get that signature knockout punch on Gamboa, but he did land a lot of good straight right hands over the top, really punishing Gamboa, but give credit to Gamboa, he really took those punches well and was able to last until the end of the fight. But I thought he lost every round and it was really disciplined good performance from Devin Haney, but not the exciting one that Gervonta Davis put on just the week prior. With That amazing left uppercut that put Leo Santa Cruz down. Something we had never seen from Leo Santa Cruz get finished like that. But Javante Davis in his devastating power was able to do it. But getting back to this fight against Devin Haney. As I said earlier we would have loved to see him get a signature knockout win. He wasn't able to do it. But he's still one of the best young fighters in the sport. And I can't wait to see where his career goes from here. Getting past... A tough veteran fighter in Eurokis Gamboa without really too much issue winning every round. And he really showed his quality, his boxing acumen, and how he's fighting beyond his years in terms of uh, all the skills he has in his arsenal. And the power and the combination punching that he can unleash against his opponents. Now moving on to another fight that also happened on November 7th from the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles, California. We had the very talented Luis Ortiz taking on Alexander Flores and getting a knockout in the first round after only 45 seconds. Uh, It was really a short fight, a true mismatch between these two fighters. And it looked like Luis Ortiz landed a couple devastating body shots that Alexander Flores could not take. And Ortiz is still showing devastating power at the age of 41. And his only career losses have come to Deontay Wilder twice. So it's clear this guy is still an elite heavyweight and one of the best heavyweights in the sport. I'd love to see him get matched up against maybe Joe Joyce or Andy Ruiz Jr. I believe he called him out after the fight. He wants to fight Ruiz Jr. next the guy that got a big upset win over Anthony Joshua in their first fight. However, in their second fight, Joshua won by unanimous decision. So Ruiz Jr. against Luis Ortiz, that would be a really big fight. So maybe we see that happening in the not-too-distant future. But Ortiz is getting towards the end of his career. He's already 41 years old, so it's really now or never for him. If he's ever going to achieve his goal of becoming the heavyweight champion of the world... But with guys like Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, and Deontay Wilder in the sport, it's going to be really hard to make that happen. Nonetheless, Luis Ortiz is one of the best heavyweights in the sport. He showed that once again against a very overmatched opponent in Alexander Flores. Got rid of him in only 45 seconds. And some uh, thought that Flores maybe threw the fight. In fact, they had to hold his purse for the fight, I believe uh, $60,000, that Flores earned for this fight, and they held it because they thought he threw the fight and did not compete to the best of his ability. I did not see Flores throwing the fight. I just thought that Ortiz came in with that killer mindset and got that early knockout win with some devastating body shots right under the elbow of his opponent Flores, right in that liver-kidney area, and uh, Flores just could not take the power. I didn't see anything being thrown in terms of Flores not competing to the best of his ability. I just saw a much better boxer take care of a far inferior opponent in only 45 seconds. So great performance for Luis Ortiz and we'll see who he gets matched up with next in an absolutely amazing heavyweight division. And now getting back to a fight that happened on November 14th from London, England on DAZN we had in the main event Katie Taylor versus Miriam Gutierrez for Taylor's WBC, WBO, IBF, and WBA lightweight titles. She's the undisputed lightweight champion of the world. Katie Taylor is of course Irish and she was taking on a Spanish opponent in Miriam Gutierrez. Katie Taylor is a really impressive fighter because of her speed and accuracy and also her overall ring activity in there she likes to throw a lot of punches to overwhelm her opponents and we saw a lot of that against Miriam Gutierrez even though she's a woman she's still a very big draw in terms of boxing she's one of the most exciting fighters in the sport man or woman and every time Katie Taylor fights It's definitely an event and definitely something that you're going to want to tune into because she just fights with that all-action style come forward, really putting pressure on her opponents. And that got her into a little bit of trouble against Delphine Persoon in their first fight, a majority decision win for Katie Taylor. But she cleaned up some of her mistakes in that unanimous decision win over Delphine Persoon back in August of 2020 in their rematch. So right now, Katie Taylor is clearly one of the best woman boxers in the world, a very exciting fighter to watch, and I really enjoyed this performance that she put on against Miriam Gutierrez, really showing significantly better speed and timing than her overmatched opponent. But give credit to Gutierrez, ...for uh, lasting the whole fight and not getting knocked out. So I'm really excited to see where Katie Taylor goes from here. She's promoted by Eddie Hearn... ...one of the most connected promoters in all of boxing. And he's been able to match her up with some decent opponents. But she needs that big fight... ...against perhaps one of the champions at 130 pounds. Right now Katie Taylor is the undisputed champ at 135 pounds... But maybe she could take on one of the champions at 130, maybe Terry Harper, who was in the co-main event of uh, that fight card, or maybe Michaela Mayer. I know they both probably want that fight against Katie Taylor. It would be a huge fight for women's boxing, so we'll see if they can make a fight happen between Katie Taylor and Terry Harper or against Katie Taylor and Michaela Mayer. I think that would do big ratings and really bring a lot of exposure to women's boxing. So we'll see if that can happen. Now, moving on to another fight card that happened on November 27th from Hollywood, Florida on DAZN. In the main event, we had Daniel Jacobs taking on Gabriel Rosado. 12 rounds, super middleweights. Daniel Jacobs has, of course, been in the ring against some great fighters like Canelo Alvarez and also against Gennady Golovkin. So he's really fought the best middleweights in the world and even though he lost both those fights by unanimous decision he still had moments in those fights where he was going back and forth with some of the best fighters in the world so a lot of people expected he would get past Gabriel Rosado without too much uh, trouble But it was a lot more competitive fight than most people would have predicted. And it also wasn't that exciting of a fight. Because neither boxer was really throwing a lot of punches. Or really giving you a lot of ring activity that you would have liked to see. In a fight between two pretty decent middleweights. However, for Gabriel Rosado, he put on a really great performance. And with this performance, he's going to set himself up. For maybe some more big fights in the future. But for Daniel Jacobs. He really didn't do himself any favors. He should have got past. Gabriel Rosado with more ease. But I thought Rosado. Who is right now being trained by Freddie Roach. One of the best trainers. In the history of boxing. uh, Gabriel Rosado. He really showed great boxing acumen. And really great boxing discipline. He wasn't cut in this fight. As we've seen before. In some of. Rosado's other more violent fights like the one against Gennady Golovkin one of the most brutal fights I've ever seen really a lot of punishment that Rosado took against Golovkin but this fight against Daniel Jacobs did not have that level of violence that level of excitement it was really a pretty tame fight as both boxers were just kind of pot shotting each other not really throwing a lot of punches and that's why it was a split decision because it was a very close fight. I definitely could see the argument for Rosado winning. I definitely can also see if you thought that Jacobs won, that's how close it was and rightly so is a split decision win for Daniel Jacobs, but he really should have came in with more power, with more accuracy and with more activity against a guy like Gabriel Rosado who we've seen has glaring weaknesses against other fighters in the past. So it wasn't the best performance for him. But I'd love to see Daniel Jacobs maybe get a rematch against Sergey Dervinchenko. I know that first fight was really close. A split decision win for Daniel Jacobs. And Dervinchenko is one of the best middleweights. He recently lost to Jamal Charlo by unanimous decision. But he's still a top middleweight as we saw against Gennady Glovkin and Daniel Jacobs. So, maybe Jacobs and Durvinchenko come to terms on another rematch, but if that doesn 't happen we 'll see uh, where Daniel Jacobs goes from here and for Gabriel Rosado, he could get matched up against other guys, perhaps a rematch against Luis Arias or even against Martin Murray or Willie Monroe Jr. These are uh, some losses he suffered unanimous decision loss to Willie Monroe Jr majority decision loss to Martin Murray and now that he looks like he's cleaned up some of his weaknesses I'd love to see him get that rematch and see if he's really improved on uh, the fighter that he was previous to the one that we saw put on a career best performance against Daniel Jacobs it was the best Gabriel Rosado I've ever seen very disciplined and I thought he could have even deserved to get that upset win over Daniel Jacobs He didn't quite get it on the judges scorecards but he definitely did himself a lot of favors going up being very competitive against the top middleweight in Daniel Jacobs who came in with an uninspired performance and looked like he didn't really want to be there and he said after the fight that uh, the lack of atmosphere with no fans in the arena kind of played into his performance because he couldn't really get himself hyped up for the fight. And get ready to put on a great performance. But I think that's something that also separates the great boxers from just the decent ones. Is the ability to block out everything fans are not in the stands. And just put on a great performance. Because you owe it to yourself after all your hard training to do it. And we saw that with Terrence Crawford. And... You know, fighters like that, it doesn't matter where the fight is or who is it is against. They're going to show up and give their best effort. I did not think that Daniel Jacobs did that. And hopefully he learns from this and comes out better and more inspired in his next fight. Now, moving on to another fight that happened from London, England on ESPN+. In the main event, we had Daniel Dubois taking on Joe Joyce 12 rounds for the vacant European heavyweight title. And I was really excited for this fight. I know it got postponed earlier when it was supposed to happen, but give a lot of credit to Frank Warren and Queensberry Promotions for being able to get this fight done and give it to the boxing fans because this is a fight that a lot of boxing fans, especially a lot of British boxing fans wanted to see. Two of the best British heavyweights in the sport going at it Daniel Dubois, the younger fighter, was actually the favorite going into this fight. However, he ended up getting stopped in the 10th round because his left eye had absolutely swollen shut, caused by repeated jabs from Joe Joyce. And Joyce is a former Olympian with a lot more amateur experience than his opponent, Daniel Dubois. He's 35 years old, while Dubois is only 23 years old, So they're kind of at different stages in their career with Joe Joyce already being 35 years old. He's really got to get on his horse and get those big fights going if he's ever going to reach his dream of becoming the heavyweight champion of the world. So maybe he gets matched up with Alexander Usyk next. I know he called him out after the fight. I'd love to see Usyk versus Joe Joyce. I think that would be a really great boxing match because both of these boxers have excellent boxing fun- fundamentals. We saw that against Daniel Dubois and then for Alexander Usyk against Derek Chisora. But getting back to the fight between Joe Joyce and Daniel Dubois, I definitely thought that Dubois was landing the harder punches when he was able to get them off, really landing some devastating power on Joe Joyce, but Joyce is a veteran of the sport, 12 years Dubois senior, and he was really able to take his power well and come back with his own consistent jab, working behind that jab, which ended up being the cause for the end of the fight because of the swollen uh, left eye of Dubois. He could no longer see out of it. He took a knee, and that was it. He decided he didn't want to be in there anymore against Joe Joyce. And for Joyce, this is the type of performance. He needed, in the biggest fight of his career, against his toughest opponent to date, he showed his excellent boxing acumen, his disciplined approach, his ability to take absolutely devastating power, because we've seen what Dubois can do to other guys, knocking them out of their left and right and center, with absolutely no problem showing devastating power. But in this fight against Joe Joyce, we saw that Dubois needs to work on his boxing fundamentals, and his overall defense to not get caught with so many jabs against a master boxer in Joe Joyce. And he showed all his quality, all his ability as the underdog against the young lion in Daniel Dubois. Maybe they do, they do a rematch down the line. I think that would be a huge fight. But as I said, I'd love to see Joe Joyce get matched up against Alexander Usyk. And then for Daniel Dubois, maybe match him up against Joseph Parker. I'm not really sure where he goes from here. But he's only 23 years old. Even though he suffered his first career loss to Joe Joyce, he's still a very promising fighter. And I can't wait to see where he goes from here. But for Joe Joyce, this is the type of career-altering win that he craved and he got ...due to hard work and superior boxing fundamentals. However, as we've seen with Daniel Dubois... ...it only takes one punch and he can knock out his opponent. And we've seen that time and time again in his past fights. He wasn't able to do that against Joe Joyce... ...but there were definitely times when he was almost going to knock out Joe Joyce... ...but Joyce would smartly wrap up with uh, Daniel Dubois to stop taking those punches and then come back with his own disciplined approach. It was a really close back and forth fight. And if it went to a decision, I'm not really sure who would have got that decision. However, the judges were not needed, unfortunately, because the left eye of Daniel Dubois was swollen shut. And after uh, Joe Joyce landed a beautiful jab right on the eye in the 10th round, uh, Daniel Dubois could no longer take it. And as, as I said, he took a knee And that was the end of the fight. But both these boxers are still some of the best heavyweights in the sport. And they deserve those big fights because they're both very quality fighters. And other than Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury 2 earlier in the year, I think this might have been the biggest heavyweight fight of the year in terms of what it means for the division and what it means for both guys in their career. So we'll see where they go from here, and I can't wait to see Joe Joyce and Daniel Dubois fight again. Maybe they have a rematch down the line. I think Daniel Dubois could win that rematch because of his knockout power and because he's younger and still learning the game, whereas Joe Joyce is a little older, and he showed great boxing fundamentals against Daniel Dubois. But if Dubois learns to, you know, use head movement a little better, get his head off the line, to not get landed on so many times, he can really improve on this performance and come back better for it. Now, moving on to another fight card, probably the fight that a lot of fight fans were wondering, is this real? Is it really going to happen? And in fact, it did happen. That's right, I'm talking about on November 28th from Los Angeles on pay-per-view. In the main event, we had Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr., eight rounds, an exhibition, uh, only two-minute rounds for eight rounds, so a 16-minute fight between two guys that are over 50 years old. I didn't really know if this fight should be happening. I didn't want to see any of these guys get seriously hurt, especially at their advanced age. They really shouldn't be in the boxing ring. But it was definitely a better fight than I thought would ensue. I thought both guys had their moments Early on Mike Tyson was really dominating and Roy Jones Jr. looked absolutely gassed in between rounds like he couldn't keep going. But give credit to Roy Jones Jr. for making it a competitive second half of the fight which is why it was ruled a draw. I thought that Tyson won the fight probably six rounds to two and he should have got the decision, but that doesn't really matter. Just give credit to both these guys for taking the chance and fighting against each other and giving fans quite the unique experience to watch these two boxing legends fight each other at the age of over 50 years old. Mike Tyson is 54 years old, and his opponent, Roy Jones Jr., is 51 years old. But neither of these guys got seriously hurt. In part because neither was supposed to try to knock each other out. In spite of all the rules and all the stuff before the fight. It ended up being a pretty decent boxing match. You saw elements of what made both fighters such legendary boxers in their prime. You saw the head movement hands down of Roy Jones Jr. You saw the on forward pressure of Mike Tyson throwing those looping hooks around the guard of Roy Jones Jr. getting him against the rope, almost knocking him out at certain points in the fight. But Jones Jr. took those punches well and was able to finish the fight. So give a lot of credit to him for pushing through that early fatigue and giving fans a competitive fight. And for Mike Tyson, he looked like he could have kept going a few more rounds, definitely looked like he was in better shape ...than his opponent, but I don't know if I want to see these guys fight again. I mean, they're both over 50. You don't want to see either of them get a devastating injury during a boxing match... ...which they're definitely more prone to because of their age. But if fight fans want to see it, and if they want to do it... ...then we're probably going to see these guys fight again. Evander Holyfield has already called out Mike Tyson. So maybe we'll see Holyfield against Tyson but give a lot of credit to both fighters for lasting the whole fight and giving fans a competitive boxing exhibition between two legends of the sport, and we'll see if they fight again. I don't really need to see them fight again, but that's not really up to me. It's up to these older fighters and if they want to continue chasing that glory that they once had in the boxing ring. And I'm sure for a fighter, nothing can bring you the joy of, the elation, or the excitement that you get from actually fighting in a professional boxing fight or in an MMA fight, and I think that's what these guys are missing. They're missing the tension, they're missing the competition, they're missing that excitement, that fire they get when they enter a fight and when they're in the ring going up against another competitor. And I think that's ultimately what drew them back into the ring after so many years away from the sport. Now Roy Jones Jr. had previously fought only three years ago, so he's more apt to fighting at an older age. Whereas Mike Tyson kind of decided that he just wanted to do this and give him a lot of credit for doing it and doing it quite well, better than I thought he he was going to fare in that fight. So, while it was ruled a draw, I thought that Mike Tyson won. And we'll see where both these over 50-year-old athletes go from here. Now let's move on to the co-main event on that fight card. It was between YouTube sensation Jake Paul and a former professional basketball player in Nate Robinson. I don't know why this fight was even licensed. I mean... Nate Robinson isn't a fighter. He's a basketball player. He's a great athlete, able to dunk, even though he has a short stature. But he showed against Jake Paul, he was just wrapping him up, hoping to not get knocked out. But Jake Paul ended up getting the knockout in the second round. And Paul, even though he's a a YouTube uh, star, he's definitely showing me that he's also quite the talented boxer, I mean, you look what he did in his previous fight, getting a first round knockout over Insan Gibb, and then in his next fight, getting a second round KO over Nate Robinson. And I don't know why they let this fight continue. Nate Robinson was down twice uh, before he got knocked out cold in the third knockdown. The referee never should have allowed him to continue fighting. He's not a professional fighter. He's a basketball player. And you simply can't put these guys at risk like that. So the referee definitely should have stopped the fight before the third knockdown. Probably after the first knockdown. But definitely after the after the second knockdown. And there was no need for him to get knocked out cold like he did in uh, the third knockdown. So very unfortunate scene for Nate Robinson. And for Jake Paul he's calling out guys like Conor McGregor. Uh, So we'll see if that fight can happen. It'd be a very interesting fight. I'm not sure how good Jake Paul really is. We've got to see him in there against a real fighter to really judge, uh, you know, his boxing skills. But he's shown in his first two fights that he's got really good timing and pretty decent power. But against a guy like Conor McGregor, I don't know how well he would fare. But it'd be a big money fight. So we'll see... uh, if that happens. And there's actually a real fight on this fight card. It was the third fight between Babu Jack and Blake McKernan. And give a lot of credit to McKernan for lasting eight rounds. It was a light heavyweight bout. And Babu Jack is one of the best light heavyweights in the world. He's a very uh, great boxer with a lot of skill. And of a lot of uh, boxing combinations that he likes to use in his fight. And his opponent in Blake McKernan was absolutely overmatched in this fight. He's a military man, and uh, he really showed his toughness, able to take a really big beating. And um, for Babu Jack, his two career losses have come to Jean Pascal and Marcus Brown. And previous to that, a majority decision draw against Adonis Stevenson. He's... Beaten guys like Lucien Boutet and Nathan Cleverly, George Groves, Anthony Durrell, Jason Escalera. So this guy's a really quality light heavyweight and he showed that once again against uh, Blake McKernan and uh, Babu Jack won a unanimous decision win over McKernan. The fight definitely could have been stopped a few times during that uh, fight because McKernan was absolutely getting lit up with body shots that really uh, seemed to bother him but he took those punches well came back and landed a few of his own but it wasn't quite enough as there are simply levels to this game and Babu Jack showed he's a professional prize fighter whereas McKernan just showed that he's a tough guy and definitely should not have been in there against Babu Jack. So I don't really get how these Fights get made. The one against Jake Paul and Nate Robinson never should have gotten made because Robinson isn't a boxer. And then the one between McKernan and Babu Jack shouldn't have gotten made either because McKernan doesn't deserve to take that type of beating, especially because he served our great country so well being a military veteran. He doesn't deserve to get a beating for his service. He deserves absolute praise. And should have got matched up with an opponent to his level. Not a professional prize fighter like Babu Jack. Who's just going to go in there and beat you up for 8 rounds. Which is what ended up happening. So truly a very interesting and unprecedented fight card we saw this past Saturday. And maybe we'll see more fight cards like this in the future. Well that will conclude my boxing recaps for this episode. Now let's move into some UFC recaps. I'm going to go ahead and start with UFC Fight Night, Santos vs Teixeira. This happened on November 7th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. And in the co-main event, we had Andrei Arlovsky taking on Tanner Bozer in a heavyweight matchup. And Bozer was actually the favorite going into this fight. But Arlovsky showed he had better power and timing in what was really a chess match between these two fighters. We saw Arlovsky land some great counters to Bozer that really were the more devastating punches in the fight. And Bozer was throwing a lot of kicks to the legs to try to keep Arlovsky on the outside. And looking at the fight stats here, you would have thought that Bozer actually won the fight. Arlovsky, he landed 34 out of 82 total strikes, Whereas Bozer landed 68 out of 119 total strikes with 46 to the legs. And for Arlovsky, he only landed 12 to the legs. So Bozer outstruck him, but he did not land the more devastating punches. That was definitely Arlovsky who actually put Bozer back, uh, made him take a few steps back with some of his counter-rights. Beautifully timed, and he won by unanimous decision. All three judges scored it 29 to 28. Sarlovsky, he's 41 years old, but this was a really big win for him. He won as the underdog in this fight, showing better timing and better accuracy with those counters. And Bozer showed that he still has some work to do in terms of his striking technique and how he sets up his knockout punches. He wasn't really able to get on the inside and land anything of consequence on Arlovsky. And while he did outstrike him, as I said earlier, Arlovsky definitely had the more devastating punches, which is why he got the upset win over Bozer by decision. Now let's move on to the main event. A light heavyweight matchup between two guys that are getting up there in age. Thiago Santos is 36 years old. His opponent, Glover Teixeira, is 41 years old. Clearly both of these guys want to fight for the title against Jan Blakowicz. Thiago Santos actually has a knockout win over Jan Blakowicz when they fought previously. However, in this fight, Santos was the favorite against Glover Teixeira, but Teixeira showed an absolute granite chin and really great grappling skills as he had 9 minutes and 3 seconds of ground control time where Santos only had a minute and 18 seconds of ground control time. It was clear that Teixeira wanted to make this a grappling match, while Santos wanted to have this uh, fight remain on the feet so he could get that knockout with his devastating power. And every time that Santos landed on Teixeira, you felt that it could be the end of the fight perhaps, because of his devastating power. And that's what made this fight so exciting to watch. It's that at any moment the fight could end. And this is because Santos has such devastating knockout power that you thought maybe he'd get the knockout in the earlier rounds. But Glover Teixeira was simply undaunted by his power in really just pushing for those takedowns because he knew his advantage lied in the grappling. And you look at the fight stats here. Santos landed 81 out of 109 total strikes, whereas Teixeira landed 148 out of 180 total strikes. And as I said earlier, had 9 minutes and 3 seconds of ground control time, whereas Santos only had a minute and 18 seconds of ground control time. So really dominant performance from Glover Teixeira. He was definitely hit a few times, caused him to fall down from a few of the punches by Santos, Almost got knocked out to start the fight actually. But he fought through those punches to secure the takedown and really uh, make Santos work off his back. And really drain him of energy by just getting on top of him and grappling him. And Santos couldn't take the pressure as in the third round after he knocked down Glover Teixeira. Teixeira came back, uh, got the back of Santos and was able to get a rear naked choke to really get the biggest win of his career over a very quality light heavyweight who previously knocked out Jan Blakowicz. And a lot of people also thought he probably beat John Jones when they fought for the title. However, he didn't get that decision. But this was Santos, uh, his first fight back since that devastating leg injury he suffered against John Jones. He looked pretty good in there but Glover Teixeira was ready and did not want to mess up this opportunity against a devastating puncher like uh, Thiago Santos, and he did not. He came out absolutely guns blazing, getting those takedowns, showing his great grappling acumen, and showing what makes him such a tough fighter to beat. And we've really seen a really awesome career resurgence for Glover Teixeira. Let's look at his fight history here. Uh, After his loss to Corey Anderson back in 2018, he beat Carl Robertson by submission, Ayan Kutabla by submission, Nikita Krylov by a split decision, Anthony Smith by knockout, and Thiago Santos by submission. So really awesome wins for him here. And maybe he gets... The fight against Jan Blockowitz for the light heavyweight title. If he doesn't get it, then maybe Israel Adesanya gets it. It's unclear right now uh, who's next going to fight Blachowicz for the light heavyweight title. But with Teixeira's recent performances, he's definitely put himself right in line to challenge for that title in the not-too-distant future. So we'll see if Teixeira versus blockwitz happens next or if it's Blockowitz versus Adesanya. With John Jones now vacating his light heavyweight title, it really opens up the door for a lot of possibilities in terms of title matchups that they can make. And if Clover Teixeira doesn't fight for the title next, then he should just wait out the winner of Adesanya Blachowicz and uh, get the winner of that fight. And then for Thiago Santos, I'd love to see him get matched up against... Dominic Reyes or Alexander Rakic, I think those would be both very competitive fights. And for Glover Teixeira, I'm really hoping he gets that title shot next because he's 41 years old. He's the number one contender and he definitely deserves it after his recent performances beating Anthony Smith, really giving him quite the beating there and then submitting Thiago Santos. He definitely deserves Jan Blockwitz next. So we'll see if they can make that fight happen. And for Israel Adesanya, he should just wait it out and give Glover to share that opportunity because Adesanya is still a younger fighter, and he's actually a middleweight at that fights at 185 pounds. So he's thinking about moving up to 205 to challenge Jan Blachowicz. So we'll see if that happens. But Glover to in my opinion, deserves the next title shot. And he looked absolutely amazing against Thiago Santos. Walking through that power, able to get those takedowns and able to get that submission. And it's really going to be interesting to see how he fares against Jan Blachowicz. So it's clear that Teixeira still has a lot left in the tank. Still is one of the best grapplers and all-around fighters in the sport. And I can't wait to see him back in the octagon. And the same goes for Thiago Santos. I think this is just a blip in uh, his fight career. He's going to come back stronger, more well-rounded, and uh, ready for the next challenge that awaits him. Now, moving on to the next fight card. This was UFC Fight Night, Felder versus Dos Anjos. Previously, uh, Dos Anjos was expected to be fighting a Russian fighter, but that fight uh, fell through, and Felder stepped in on short notice to take uh, the fight against dos anjos but let me just touch on the co-main event briefly we had chaos william taking on abdul razak al hassan and al hassan was actually the favorite going into this fight against chaos williams but williams showed absolutely devastating knockout power he uh, landed five out of ten total strikes and uh Al-Hassan landed two out of two total strikes. But the fight only lasted 30 seconds. As Chaos Williams was able to get him out of there rather quickly. I believe it was a counter right hand that absolutely uh, stunned Al-Hassan. And had him stiff as a board as he lost consciousness and fell to the mat. This guy Williams carries devastating knockout power. And I can't wait to see him fight again. He's clearly one of the best knockout artists in the UFC. And he's just getting started in his uh, professional MMA career. So really hope that Dana White can match him up against a quality opponent in his next fight. To see uh, how great this guy really is. Because right now it's too early to tell uh, how good he is. But we look at his fight history. Uh, His previous fight actually only lasted 27 seconds. And that was his debut in the UFC back in February of 2020. He got a knockout over Alex uh, Murano. And that was, uh, as I said, it lasted only 27 seconds. So his next fight lasted all of 30 seconds, getting the knockout win over al Hassan. I can't wait to see what he does next. Clearly, uh, he's got a lot of knockout power. And he has uh, six wins by knockout in his... Uh, brief MMA career, he has uh, 12 career fights and one uh, decision loss back in February of 2018. But clearly this guy is on the up and up, and I can't wait to see him in there again. Uh, probably going to get another first round knockout if I had to guess what he does next. Now let's move on to the main event on that fight card, which was between Rafael Dos Anjos and Paul Felder. And looking at the fight stats here, Felder landed 134 out of 226 total strikes. In Dos Anjos, he landed 155 out of 231 total strikes. And while their striking numbers are quite close, what ended up being the difference was the grappling of Dos Anjos, as he had 14 minutes and 15 seconds of ground control time, whereas Paul Felder only had... A minute and 40 seconds of ground control time. And Dos Anjos was 6 of 22 on his takedown attempts. Whereas Paul Felder was only 1 of 2 on his takedown attempts. So Dos Anjos did a beautiful job of mixing up his striking with his takedowns. And really just beat up Paul Felder. And really wore him out over the course of 5 rounds. It was a split decision win for Dos Anjos. Two of the judges had it 45-50 to 50, uh, in favor of Dos Anjos. One fight had it 48-47 to 47 in favor of Paul Felder. I thought that Dos Anjos won this fight quite handedly because of his variety in his attack, getting a lot of takedowns, and also matching what Paul Felder was doing on the feet, really throwing a lot of kicks, a lot of punches, really mixing it up really well. And Dos Anjos looks like he could be a contender at lightweight now that Khabib Nurmagomedov has retired as of now. Uh, That division is really wide open and Dos Anjos looks like he could maybe get the title. He says he wants to fight Conor McGregor next. So we'll see if they can uh, make that fight happen. I think that the winner of Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor should fight Rafael Dos Anjos next. And uh, we'll see if they make that fight happen. And it was really a vintage performance for Rafael dos Anjos. One that he really needed after suffering two unanimous decision losses. In his previous two fights to Leon Edwards and Michael Chiesa. He was able to get the split decision win over Paul Felder. And previous to that, he's also lost to Kamara Usman and Colby Covington. He's lost to Tony Ferguson, Eddie Alvarez... Uh, He's also lost to Khabib Nurmagomedov. So maybe they do a rematch between Tony Ferguson and Rafael Dos Anjos. I think that would be a very exciting fight to watch. If not, maybe he gets a rematch against Leon Edwards. Or as I said previously, maybe match him up against the winner of McGregor in Poirier. So a lot of options for Dos Anjos here, especially after that really dominant win he had over a very quality fighter in Paul Felder. So we'll see where he goes from here. And uh, for Paul Felder, give him a lot of credit for taking this fight on a few days' notice. And he said post-fight, he was really just working on his striking, but he had uh, no grappling practice. He hadn't been in an MMA gym for months, and it really showed because uh, the grappling skills of Dos Anjos far outweighed the takedown defense of Paul Felder and it really showed over the course of the fight as Felder could not deal with the pressure of Dos Anjos and that's why he lost by unanimous decision. Now let's move on to the next fight card and that was UFC 255 Figueiredo versus Perez. Uh, it was on November 21st from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada and there were two flyweight title fights on this uh, fight card in the co-main event we had the great Valentina Shevchenko taking on a very game opponent in Jennifer Maya and what Shevchenko showed here was great versatility in her striking and also her ability to get takedowns really showing her full arsenal in uh, this five round co-main event title fight. All three judges scored it for Shevchenko 49-46 for the winner by a unanimous decision after five rounds. And let's check out the fight stats here. Shevchenko landed 249 out of 317 total strikes. Her opponent, Maya, only landed 94 out of 152 total strikes. However, she did fare better on the ground as Maya had... 7 minutes and 51 seconds of ground control time. However, Shevchenko had 9 minutes and 34 seconds of ground control time and was 5 of 6 on her takedowns. Maya was 1 of 2 on her takedowns. So this was really a close grappling match, but on the feet, Shevchenko is getting the better of her, throwing a lot of kicks, a lot of punches, really mixing it up really well. She landed 46 to the head 13 to the body and 3 to the legs of Maya. So, really showing that great striking versatility. And what makes her so hard to beat is that she never stops moving, she never stops looking for angles, never stops looking for takedowns. So, it's really hard to predict what Chevchenko is going to do because she keeps her opponents off balance. We've seen in previous fights, like the one against Jessica I, throw absolutely devastating head kick knockout. And then we saw against Maya, a really well-rounded performance against a very tough opponent, but she made that uh, pretty decent fighter look ordinary. And Shevchenko showed why she's the class of women's MMA along with Amanda Nunes. And that's kind of the problem when these are two such great fighters, clearly so far superior than their opponents. I'm talking about Amanda Nunes and Valentina Shevchenko is that you struggle to find quality opponents for them to fight unless they uh, do a rematch and fight against each other for what I believe would be a third time. But other than that, I can't see either Shevchenko or Nunes losing anytime soon. But we're just really witnessing greatness each time uh, that Shevchenko and Nunes take the octagon. We saw that once again against Jennifer Maya. Absolutely devastated her with her versatility with her punching, and also uh, with her slick kicking to the body of Maya, as she really did not like those body shots. But uh, for Maya, she really should not put her head down, because she gave Shevchenko a, a very competitive fight. In fact, a lot of people thought that Maya won the second round. But guess what? Shevchenko has the heart of a champion. She came back stronger and dominated uh, rounds three through five, especially in those championship rounds where she had the better stamina and the better uh, stand-up game. So right now it's unclear who Shevchenko will fight next. There's no clear opponent for her as she's so dominant and so well-rounded in her overall fight game. But Maya gave her a pretty decent fight, but ultimately Shevchenko's stamina, her versatility, her striking acumen, and also her grappling techniques... Or what won her the fight. And uh, let's not forget Anton- Antonina Shevchenko. Who got a win earlier in the fight card. Uh, second round knockout over Arion Lipsky. So a true historic night for the UFC. As it was the first time that two uh, sisters got two wins on the same fight card in UFC history. So really uh, proud of Shevchenko sisters for doing that and it's clear that both Antonina and Valentina Shevchenko are fighters to watch out for and I can't wait to see uh, Valentina Shevchenko fight again. She's such a special fighter and uh, just one of the best overall people also in the sport. Seems like a really genuine personality and very humble and just really grateful to get the opportunity to continue to fight and add to her legacy in the UFC. Maybe Dana White can convince Wei Li Zhang, uh, the current champion at strawweight, to move up in weight and challenge uh, Shevchenko at flyweight. I think that would be an amazing fight between two very quality strikers that like to you know, mix it up and really put pressure on their opponents but if that doesn't happen right now, the number one contender in the flyweight division is Jessica Andrade. So maybe they can make that fight happen. Andrade recently got a devastating knockout win over Caitlyn Chikugian. So maybe Andrade versus Shevchenko is up next. But I still see Shevchenko beating Andrade without too much trouble just because of her well-rounded game and how dominant... She is in all facets of the fight game. Now let's move on to the main event on that fight card in uh, UFC 255. We had Devinson Figueroa taking on Alex Perez for uh, Figueroa's flyweight title. And this was Figueroa's first time defending his flyweight title after getting a submission win over Joseph uh, Benavidez in their rematch. And that was back in July of 2020. Previous to that he knocked out Benavides, but they ruled that uh, a non-title fight because Figueroa missed weight however he was able to make weight in their rematch and then most recently against Alex Perez on uh, November 21st and Perez is a quality fighter he has wins over Josier Formiga and Jordan Espinoza and his uh, most recent loss came to Joseph Benavides back in 2018 but when he fought uh Figueroa they were simply just on different levels Figueroa used a beautiful transition to finish the fight with a guillotine choke uh Al- Alex Perez actually went for a takedown and Figueroa kind of wrapped around his legs and then he was able to take his neck uh off his back and uh get the finish because of his superior strength and his technique. And what makes uh, Figueroa such a dangerous champion at 125 pounds is that he can submit you and almost knock you out. He's got great versatility in his fight game. And he showed that once again against a very uh, quality opponent in Perez, but he made him look absolutely inferior in there in terms of striking and then also in terms of grappling. And there really wasn't that much striking going on in in this fight. It only lasted a minute and uh, 57 seconds. Figueroa had uh, landed 5 out of 8 total strikes. Perez landed 6 out of 14. But in those strikes, he landed a a few devastating kicks uh, to the body of Perez that you could clearly see Perez not really taking a liking to. And Prez actually had uh, 30 seconds, 37 seconds of uh, ground control time, but he wasn't able to fend off that uh, guillotine choke off the back of Figueroa, and he had to tap because he simply could not get him off of him. And it was really early in the fight, so neither of these fighters were sweaty, which is why Figueroa was able to lock up that guillotine choke so early on in the fight. And what's even more impressive about this submission is that you could see Perez trying to get back up to his feet, and I believe he was on one knee, almost back up to his feet, but the crank on the neck was just too much for him to endure, and he had no uh, option but to tap. This just shows you the strength and the ability of Figuero, who's really big for 125 pounds. Somehow he makes the weight, and gets down there, but he's just a really big fighter. I could definitely see him moving up to 135 pounds to maybe challenge Peter Yan for the title, but for now, Figueroa remains a dominant flyweight champion, and I see him winning his next fight as well, which has already been announced against Brandon Moreno. As we get closer to that fight, I'll uh, be previewing that as well. But it was a dominant performance by Figueroa, And I believe this is the first time in UFC history where the same fighter will headline two uh, UFC cards, UFC 255, and then he'll also be headlining UFC 256. So really exciting stuff for Figueroa, who's been taking full advantage of Henry Cejudo's retirement to establish himself as the best 125-pounder in the world. And this is a pretty quick turnaround for Figueroa and also Moreno, who are both on that uh, fight card on November 21st. They're going to fight in less than a month, in about uh, two weeks' time on December 12th, in the main event on uh, UFC 256, Figueroa versus Moreno. So really looking forward to that fight. I still see uh, Figueroa winning that fight and retaining his flyweight title. So really looking forward to what I believe will be a dominant title reign for Devinson Figueroa. Now let's move on to the next fight card. That was UFC Fight Night. Smith vs. Clark on uh, November 28th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. And the original main event got scrapped, I believe because of uh, COVID reasons. Uh, It was supposed to be Curtis Blades taking on Derek Lewis in the main event. However, that didn't end up happening. And we had Anthony Smith taking on Devin Clark in the main event. And I thought that Anthony Smith really came back really well after that beating he took against Glover Teixeira in his previous fight. He was able to get a first-round submission win, a triangle choke over Devin Clark, really showing that he had much better grappling than his opponent. And he got outstruck on the feet, uh, almost getting knocked out by Clark, but he was able to get the takedown, and from there it really spelled the end of the night for Clark who could not get back up to his feet, and it ended up uh, getting submitted via triangle choke. So Anthony Smith showed me that he has a little bit better ground game than I previously thought, and let's check out the fight stats. Uh, Smith, he landed 4 out of 8 total strikes. Clark, he landed 27 out of 30 total strikes and had a minute uh, and 7 seconds of ground control time while Smith had 1 minute and 18 seconds of ground control time and was one of one on his takedown attempts. So a really efficient night for Smith, didn't really have to do too much to get the win, and really showed a superior ground game against Devin Clark. So uh, that will conclude my UFC recaps for this episode. Now let's move on to my boxing preview uh, for this weekend. On Friday, December 4th, from London, England, on the zone in the main event. It's a title fight for Saunders WBO Super Middleweight title. We've got Billy Joe Saunders taking on Martin Murray uh, for 12 rounds. And I like Billy Joe Saunders here to win this fight. He's one of the most elusive fighters in the sport, really hard to prepare for because of his unorthodox movement, his ability to get out of range and land his own c- counter punches. And Martin Murray is really more of a basic boxer. He comes in with a high guard with his hands really up by his face and uh, really open to those body shots because of uh, that defense that he employs. And I think that Joe Saunders is just going to be too elusive for Murray, a little too much boxing skill for him. And I see uh, Joe Saunders getting the win here, I'll say uh, by unanimous decision, over a decent opponent in Martin Murray. But doesn't quite have the boxing versatility, or really the offense to challenge Saunders too much over the course of their fight. This is a matchup between two British fighters for uh, Saunders' WBO super middleweight title, and um, for Martin Murray, he has wins over Sladon Jajin and uh, Rui Manuel Pavanito, but he his most recent loss was to. Hassan and Ndam in uh, Zhegang by majority decision back in December of 2018. So clearly uh, he's not the best fighter. But he also has a win over a guy that really gave Daniel Jacobs a really competitive fight in Gabriel Rosado. He beat uh, Rosado by a majority decision back in April of 2017. However, he's also suffered losses uh, to George Groves by unanimous decision and Arthur Abraham uh, by split decision. So, uh, not the best fighter. Oh, and he's also lost to Gennady Golovkin back in uh, 2015 by knockout. So, this fight coming up against Billy Joe Saunders is one of the toughest of his career. And he's clearly shown against... Competition that's at his level are a little bit better, that he can't quite rise to their level and uh, beat them. So, I think that's what's going to happen against Joe Saunders. And for Billy Joe Saunders, he really needs to put on a dominant performance here if he wants those big fights. Oh, against perhaps a Gennady Golovkin, a David Lemieux, who he's previously beat by unanimous decision, maybe a Canelo Alvarez or a Demetrius Andrade. I'm sure that uh, Billy Joe Saunders really wants those big fights, and it all starts with a really amazing performance against Martin Murray. And he has the ability to do it, and I I think he can. And let's uh, look at Joe Saunders' record here. He's actually undefeated with 29 wins, 14 by knockout, and 15 by decision. And his best wins have come against David Lemieux, Willie Monroe Jr. He even beat Chris Eubank Jr., John Ryder, so this guy's clearly a very quality fighter, never lost in his career, and I don't foresee that happening against Martin Murray, so tune into that fight coming up this Friday on DAZN. Now let's move on to a fight that's happening on December 5th from Dallas, Texas on Fox Pay-Per-View, and in the main event we've got Errol Spence Jr. taking on Danny Garcia, this is really one of the biggest fights of the year, and it's for Spence's WBC and IBF welterweight titles. Errol Spence Jr. has not been in the ring since uh, that big unanimous decision win he got over Sean Porter. But after that win, shortly after that win, he suffered a devastating car crash. Luckily, he didn't suffer any long term injuries, but the trauma of that car crash still has to weigh heavily on his mind as he gets uh, his first fight back against a very quality opponent in Danny Garcia, who's one of the best in his division and a very quality fighter. I'd say maybe perhaps even his toughest opponent to date. And let me just make a quick correction. It was actually a split decision win over Sean Porter, not a unanimous decision win. But Errol Spence Jr. has been in there against Chris Algieri. Leandro Bundu, Kel Brook, Lamont Peterson, Carlos Ocampo, Mikey Garcia, and most recently Sean Porter. He's uh, got through all of them and won. He has 26 wins, 21 by knockout, and 5 by decision. And he's fight- facing a guy in Danny Garcia that's really good at coming forward and fighting straight on right down the middle, throwing a lot of punches Right down the middle. That's really Garcia's strength. He's one of the best at punching and counter punching, And he's going to be a really tough out uh, for Errol Spence Jr. And looking at Danny Garcia's record, he's got 36 wins, 21 by knockout, and 15 by decision. And he only has two losses. One loss came to Sean Porter by unanimous decision. The other one by split decision to Keith Thurman. So if Errol Spence Jr. can get by Danny Garcia, maybe he takes on Keith Thurman. But the fight that everyone wants to see is Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence Jr. That's one of the biggest fights in boxing. And I think if Errol Spence Jr. puts on a decent performance against Danny Garcia, then perhaps he could be fighting Terrence Crawford next. So we'll see what happens there. But for Danny Garcia, he has wins over Ivan Redcatch. Adrian Granados, Brandon Rios, Samuel Vargas, Rob- Robert uh, Guerrero, Poly Malinagi, Lamont Peterson. So a very quality fighter. Also a big win over Lucas Matisse. Matisse was an absolute terror when he was fighting. But uh, Danny Garcia upset him and got a big win. Really a career-defining win for Danny Garcia back in 2013. And since then, he hasn't really disappointed I thought he might have won those two fights against Sean Porter and Keith Thurman. However, he didn't get the decision on the judges' scorecards. But this guy has never been knocked out. And I don't think he'll get knocked out by Errol Spence Jr. because of his head movement and his defensive instincts. However, I still like Spence Jr. to get the win here because I believe he has superior knockout power, a little better boxing fundamentals, and also... He's shown a pretty decent defense and for Danny Garcia he's really going to want to put the pressure on Errol Spence Jr. and make him fight off the back foot. But if uh, Spence Jr. can really push forward and make Danny Garcia fight off the back foot that's where he'll really have the advantage and maybe even get the knockout. However in this fight I see it playing out as a unanimous decision win for Errol Spence Jr. I just think he's going to be a little bit more active in there in terms of his punches. I think he's going to land the harder punches, uh, the more devastating body shots. And for Danny Garcia, I think he's going to put up a really quality fight because he's coming into this fight very motivated. But I just think that uh, Errol Spence Jr. might just be a little better than him in terms of his boxing power and also his defensive instincts. So as I said, a unanimous decision win for Aero Spence Jr. is what I'm predicting against Danny Garcia in what should be a very quality fight, probably one of the fights of the year with both guys going back and forth at each other. You're not going to want to miss this pay-per-view event on Fox, two of the best welterweight uh, fighters in the world, and hopefully the winner fights Terrence Crawford. And don't forget that next week, we have a very busy boxing weekend. Not only do we have UFC 256 with uh, Figueroa versus Brandon Moreno, but on the boxing side, we've got Shakur Stevenson taking on Toka Klonklari. uh, And then we've also got the return of Anthony Joshua against Kubrat Pulev, also on December 12th. And don't forget another heavyweight in Joseph Parker taking on Junior Fa, and also one of the most promising young fighters in the sport, in Chris Colbert taking on uh, Jaime Ada and that's also on December twelfth. So really busy uh, next Saturday. So tune into my next episode to get a preview of all those fights. Now uh, let's move on to my UFC preview to conclude this episode. So. Uh, coming up this Saturday on December 5th, we've got UFC Fight Night Hermanson versus Vittori. And it's a middleweight main event between Jack Hermanson and Marvin Vittori. And Vittori is actually the slight favorite at minus 140. His opponent, Jack Hermanson, the slight underdog, at plus 120. Um, Hermanson is 6'1, 185 pounds, with a 77 and a half inch reach. And he is coming off a dominant win over Calvin Gastelum. He is 32 years old. His opponent, Marvin Vittori, is 6 feet. He's also 185 pounds, 27 years old, with a 74-inch reach. And he's also coming off a submission win over Carl Roberson back in June of 2020. And this is a really big fight for both of these fighters because they're both coming off wins and the winner of this fight could end up fighting uh, for the title at middleweight uh, against Israel Adesanya. So we'll see what happens there but I I think Jack Hermanson's going to pull off the slight upset here. I just think his grappling is at a really high level. He showed that against Kelvin Gastelum getting a first round heel hook submission win over him and for Marvin Vittori he's a little younger doesn't have as much experience as Hermanson and if this fight does go to the ground which i think it will i think Hermanson could indeed get the submission win over Vittori and if it stays on the feet i still see Hermanson kind of matching uh what Vittori does on the feet in terms of throwing a lot of punches and a lot of kicks and i think it's going to be a very competitive back and forth fight But I think that Hermansen's experience, his submission, wins, and his overall ground game is going to be a little too much for Marvin Vittoria to handle. But Vittoria is definitely a very promising middleweight. He has 15 wins and 4 losses, and uh, 2 wins by knockout and 9 by submission. So clearly both of these guys want to get this fight to the ground and see who fares better there. So it should be a very interesting chess match between these two guys. But I'm going to go ahead and pick Jack Hermanson to get the win by split decision. And I think the winner of this fight might deserve a title shot against Israel Adesanya. I mean you could say that Robert Whitaker deserves that next title shot. But he turned it down when it was offered to him before. Because he kind of just wants to rest now. After getting back to back wins over Darren Till and Jared Cannonier. So the next title shot go, could indeed go to the winner of this fight between Hermansen and Vittori. So a lot riding on this fight, and uh, I can't wait to see how this chess match plays out. I think it'll be a predominantly grappling matchup, but we see sometimes in these grappling matchups that both guys are so good on the ground that it kind of cancels each other out, and it becomes more of a stand-up battle. So it's really anyone's guess to see uh, what happens here in this fight. But I'm going to go ahead and pick Hermanson by split decision. Well, that will conclude episode number 22 of Combat Bets with Jason Barron on the Believe Network. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week. Kobe forever, Mamba forever, and of course Maradona forever. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, continue to social distance and continue to wear your masks as we get through these crazy times together and uh, enjoy your weekend and all the great fights. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform.